This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hello and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about chowder. Yes. And uh, a couple of rabbit holes about separate types of chowder. Yeah. But probably could return to too many of those. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we could probably go really in depth into specific ones, maybe especially in like a like a shorter, shorter offshoot sips mm-hmm. episode or something like that. Uh, side dish. Yeah. Um, but right, you know, like I, I guess I guess I was kind of starting to look into chowder and I was thinking about it because it is, as we have talked about, soup season. Yes. Um, mm. I mean, soup season lives in your heart forever, but it does. But like the weather, it's been changing and getting a little bit cooler. And so, yeah, um, chowder. So good. Here we are. Oh, I love chowder. I I go through phases. When I was a kid, I definitely would like certain movies I associated with chowder for no real reason. There's no rhyme or reason to why. Uh, but I would be like, this is a movie I need to have chowder. <laughs> okay. Um, and I have a can of chowder. I've had it for a while. I think since our Old Bay episode, because it's an Old Bay clam chowder. <laughs> and I'm just uh-huh. waiting. I'm just waiting for the right moment to eat it. Um, I'm very excited about it. Uh, I almost did it today, but I have a lot of other stuff that's about to go bad, so I have to eat that first. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I'm very excited about about this prospect. Oh, I'm I'm happy for you. Yeah. Um I don't have any immediate chowder plans. Um <laughs> but as soon as I get my kitchen kind of more settled here at my new place, um uh, uh, one of my favorite things to make is a is a corn chowder. Like like really simmering mm. the 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 corn cobs in some broth and yeah, just cooking everything down and making it so tasty. Yeah. Oh. Sounds outrageously good. Yeah. I'm mad. Yeah. I'm mad about it. <laughs> um, 
mad, but also invite me over. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's the spirit. <laughs> yes. Well, I guess that brings us to our question. I guess it does. Chowder. What is it? Well, uh, chowder is a category of soups that can actually go in a few different ways. It incorporate like any number of ingredients, uh, depending, and people enjoy arguing about which is correct. Or, or correct, like in scare quotes, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but I am going to say right here that all chowder is good chowder and everything else is semantics. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pillow. There that's, you go. That's a pillow if I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Chowders do tend to be like like hearty, um, a little thickened with roux and or potatoes, M- more like a chunky stew than a soup. Sometimes it really depends on your preferences. Uh, but you've got three basic categories, white, red, and clear. Uh, white chowders are creamy thanks to milk and or cream. Red chowders incorporate tomatoes and clear chowders use neither. Seafood bases like clam or some kind of white fish like cod are pretty traditional. Um, Many chowders incorporate preserved pork like bacon as a flavoring along with a few vegetables. But there are lots of variations. Um, Other fish or shellfish, chicken, corn. Um, They're usually fairly mildly seasoned with some warm herbs like thyme and bay leaf. Uh, Chowders are like adaptable thickened soups. Um... Like a like a soup that's thinking about getting up and stretching its legs a bit, you know. Um, it's thinking about it. Thinking about it. Maybe not gonna. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, don't sit maybe there. not gonna yeah. do it. Yeah. But yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, uh, they're they're like the they're like the cable knit sweaters of soups. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, so hungry, so hungry. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. with any chowder. Um, as with, I guess, pretty much any soup in general, uh, you're probably going to start by building flavor by sautéing some aromatic vegetables. In this case, definitely onion and celery. Um, And you're going to do that in the fat of your choice. Uh, In this case, like butter, bacon grease, some kind of vegetable oil. I don't know. Um, You then add whatever kind of broth you're using and some seasonings, you know, salt and pepper, herbs, maybe some white wine, maybe some spices. Uh... Chowders usually do have chopped potatoes cooking down in them for a while. Um, And once those are basically done, you mash them a tiny bit for body into the broth and then um, add your more delicate ingredients, your cooked protein or your quick cooking seafood, any dairy, any uh, veg or herb that you want to keep fresher. And then you're done. Uh, You know, season to taste. Uh, Maybe serve with uh, crackers or crusty bread. But all right, that's a very general overview. Um, as I said, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. People do like arguing about it. Um, I'm going to posit, however, that when most people think about chowder, they're thinking about the white kind, sometimes called New England style. Um, these take this this kind of mild base that we just went over um, and add richness with milk and or cream, uh, maybe a light roux, uh, which is flour and butter cooked together, um, or even maybe cheese. The broth base might be clam or fish or chicken. Uh, The sort of star ingredient might be any of those things. Um, Or sweet corn, preferably sliced fresh off the cob, and preferably you simmer the cobs in your broth to get that extra flavor out. Or, um, yeah, maybe no protein, uh, maybe just potato. Uh, Maybe add bacon to the potato if you want to. I don't know. Uh, If you put in vegetable broth, you can make it vegetarian. 
Meanwhile, the red kind, sometimes called Manhattan style, is a little uh, sweeter, like in a vegetal way, and, and usually spicier with the addition of ingredients like carrots, bell peppers, garlic, red pepper flakes, um, and tomato in paste or sauce or crushed form. Your broth may still be clam or fish or chicken or vegetable, maybe even beef. You can incorporate those proteins um, or not and focus on the veg. Some recipes do start with a red base and then add a bit of dairy at some point in the process to make a creamy tomato situation. Hmm. Best of both worlds. Total <laughs> abomination. I can't tell you. You decide. People have opinions, too. <laughs> they certainly do. <laughs> this is one of those, I feel like every dish we talk about, like, I wind up saying something very controversial just in describing what it is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. Don't come at me. Don't come at me. Um, okay. Uh, speaking of the third kind, the clear kind, sometimes called Rhode Island style, um, this is almost always a clam chowder specifically. It's it's a little bit lighter and uh, more directly clammy than other chowders. Uh, might be finished with a little bit of lemon juice and parsley. But yeah, this is just scratching the surface, the, the chowdery surface, um, because like there are all kinds of specific regional varieties and preferences. Like, do you want your shellfish to be fresh or canned? If they're fresh, do you add them um, uh, whole in, in their shells and all? Um, or do you shell them first? Do you chop them? What specific clams do you use? What kind of fish? Is the fish smoked? Uh, do you use cream or milk and roux? Some, some of both. I don't know. Uh, do you use bacon or salt pork? Do you add beans or squirrel or sausage or hot peppers? You want to finish it with sherry or some rum? You want to serve hot sauce alongside it? How important are the oyster crackers to the chowder experience? You have to tell us. You have to write in. You have to. I need to know. <laughs> Laura needs to know. I need to know. I do love a good oyster cracker. Yeah. Not all the time, but sometimes you're just feeling it and I I gotta have it. Oh, see, I kind of like oyster crackers all on their own. I'm sort of like, oh yeah, Ooh. this this dry, flavorless thing is great. I want to eat more of that. But it's got that like crunch. Yeah, yeah. that salt. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In general, I don't like crunchy in my soup, but yeah. I do sometimes. I I I, I got a mix. I, I like all kinds of things. You know. I prefer oh. a bread for <laughs> dipping personally, but you know. Okay. Okay. Oh. Well, what about the nutrition? Oh, that really depends. I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Move on. Not even gonna try. Nope. <laughs> well, we do have some numbers for you. Yes. Uh, okay. If you think I'm overstating the number of variations we're working with here, uh, a chef by the name of Jasper White published a cookbook of 50 chowders back in the year 2000. 50 chowders? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, <laughs> also, science fact of the episode, um, the quahog clams sometimes used in like locally made New England clam chowder can live half a century or more. I mean, you know, like if you don't eat, eat them. Um, uh, in the early 2000s, researchers found this one clam that was 507 years old um, accidentally uh, among a catch of like a couple hundred that they took off the coast of Iceland and immediately froze for, for study. Um, yeah. 
There were headlines that were all like, scientists accidentally kill world's oldest animal at age 507. <laughs> oh, man. Can you imagine this clam's like, wow, I'm living it up. Long life. <laughs> just doing my clam best. Really just experiencing it all. And then... Science. Science, science. science happens to science. us all. <sighs> yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it's it's debated. It was debatably the world's oldest oldest animal, but it, it depends on how you define, like, corals. Anyway. Um, any, okay. But so... Uh, Another number for you. I don't think that we've talked about this book series. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, But okay, so an author by the name of Maya Corrigan writes these cozy mysteries under uh, the series name Five Ingredient Mysteries. And in 2015, she published one called Scam Chowder. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I'm in. I'm in 1,000%. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Apparently the plot is all like this detective goes and visits her grandpa and he's trying to like uncover this scam artist who's been like working over this group of retirees and and then the, the guy who he was trying to call out winds up dead at this dinner party where he serves this clam chowder and and he's and he's you know under suspicion of murdering the guy and so mysteries yeah. But in a cozy way, I'm sure. And there's a, there's a recipe in the book. I'm sure it turns out very well. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I hope so. <laughs> I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. <laughs> yes. Um, also, y'all, there are a lot of chowder festivals around the United States. Um, okay. Uh, a sampling for you. There's one in New Bedford, Massachusetts, that's been running for 18 years as of 2023, um, end of September every year. One in Saratoga Springs, New York, that's been going for 24 years uh, every February. For their 25th anniversary next year in 2024, um, they'll have some 80 chowders available for tasting in four-ounce servings for $2 a piece. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, One on Long Beach Island has been running for 34 years. That happens the first week in October. I witnessed photos of people wearing clam hats. Um, Uh... There's a chowder fest in Santa Barbara benefiting the local Legal Aid Foundation. Apparently, apparently there's one that's been running for over a hundred years in Illinois. The Bone Gap Chowder. And they <laughs> they they get like they get like 20 kettles a cooking. And um, and apparently this this South Illinois type of chowder is very distinct. Um, Mm. and I'm not, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure about the rest of it. Um, but the photos, (laughs) the photos of like the lines of chowder cauldrons and like the giant stirrers Mm. and like the, 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 the fires being stoked are really spectacular. So if this is something that you're familiar with, oh my goodness, write in and let us know. Oh yeah. Have you been to any of these things? Also, I'm really curious, like the, around the world, um, yeah. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I understand that um, chowders are are also a thing in New Zealand, having come over from America. Well, listeners, we're counting on you once again. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But that being said, we do have some history for you. Oh, we do. Um, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, yes, uh, Chowder's history is a very mysterious one. Um, and there are a lot of variations to take into account. We're going to kind of do an overview for this episode. Sure. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of variations. Um, essentially, soups with seafood and vegetables have been around, um, especially in areas near water for a long, long time. Um, particularly in this case, perhaps off the coast of England and France, where folks would make these soups in large cauldrons. Mm -hmm. Some hints about chowder specifically come from theories about etymology. You know, we love that here. Um, some think it might come from the French word for boiler. Yeah, like a, like a cauldron, like a type of pot in which you boil stuff. Um, the French word is uh, chaudière, 
Sure. I don't speak French. Let's go with that. Um, uh, yeah. And, and the English word cauldron does stem off of the same late Latin root. Right. Um, and so some people think that this is also related to a Latin word for heating, the name chowder. Mm-hmm. Or uh, from a dialect uh, local to Cornwall and the word jowder, meaning fishmonger. So all of those kind of fit. Uh, sure. <laughs> who knows? Sure. <laughs> Mystery's mm-hmm. history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, some speculate that chowder originated from fishers on the Canadian coast who were trying to use up their remaining catch, and that essentially, um, though the particulars may vary, that's what most historians think happened. It's basically like seafarers had this surplus fish, or um, maybe they were just making long journeys over water, and they wanted to do something so as not to waste that fish, and or that's what they had on hand, Mm -hmm. uh, which for most ships would include things not only the fish, but things like wine, hardtack, and salt pork. So, chowder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> put it put it in a pot, boil it together, you get a soup. You get a chowder. Yeah. Yes, but if you're like, wait, that doesn't seem like the chowder I know. Yeah. Well, uh, the earliest known recipe for chowder dates back to a 1751 poem that was published to the Boston Evening Post. And please indulge me. <laughs> we don't get to do a lot of recipe poems. Yeah. On this podcast. Food poems <laughs> sometimes. Recipes sometimes. Very but infrequently. A food <laughs> recipe <laughs> poem. Okay. Yes. Right. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you are. I don't know if I am, but here we go. First, lay some onions to keep the pork from burning. Because in chowder there can be no turning. Then lay some pork in slices very thin. Thus you in chowder always must begin. Next, lay some fish cut crossways very nice. Then season well with pepper, salt, and spice. Parsley, sweet marjoram, savory and thyme. Then biscuit next, which must be soaked some time. Thus your foundation laid, you will be able to raise a chowder high as Tower of Babel, Babel. Well, we said Babel, but Abel, whatever. Babel, sure. Um, for by repeating o'er the same again, you may make chowder for a thousand hmm. men. A last bottle of claret with water enough to smother them, you'll have a mess which some call omnium gatherum. <laughs> I just like did a spell and I'm going to be cursed later. <laughs> cursed with chowder. Oh, well, then that's great. I'm happy about that. <laughs> um, but yes, okay. So from this poem, huh. you can tell it's still not quite what a lot of us would think of when you hear chowder. Um, so, like biscuits instead of potatoes, preserved pork instead of clams, mm-hmm. red wine, no stirring, lots of herbs, um, layers of raw fish. But also, apparently, and this was a rabbit hole I had to cut myself off from, Mm -hmm. it was somewhat of a fad at the time for men to write sort of like parody poetry or like tongue-in-cheek serious poetry about something not really traditionally poetic. So writing a poem about chowder. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, So... There's two things going on here. Uh, first, a kind of 
played out trend at the time was waxing poetic very publicly in newspapers or salons uh, about every trifling little thing. Um, it, it had gotten by this time to, to the point where people were making fun of that trend with this new trend of spoof poems. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, okay, but... This poem, this first recipe, as many like to call it, it might have been a joke, Mm -hmm. but it does indicate that people in the area were familiar with chowder at the time, enough so that it would be a joke. Right, sure. And most sources I read believe that it was a staple in certain parts of U.S. in the U.S. eastern coast by the 1800s. Although I also read like it might have been more of a casserole situation than a soup situation. At the time? Yeah, that's what it sounds like from this recipe anyway, but hard to say, hard to say. Hard to say. I guess along similar lines uh, with familiarity, the old, like centuries old insult uh, jolthead morphed into chowderhead in some English, like American English dialects right around the (laughs) 18-teens. Okay. Okay, and this is around the time that we get recipes for chowder that were popping up in cookbooks in the U.S. Um, One of the first was in Lydia Marie Child's 1829 work, The Frugal Housewife, which still called for fish, uh, like in that poem we just read, Hmm. but the wine was absent. Hmm. Um, The herbs were also cut down and replaced with ketchup, beer, and maybe... Even some clams. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Some credit Amelia Simmons' 1796 work, American Cookery, or more accurately, her second edition published in 1800, which included a recipe for chowder. Uh, And here's the quote. Take a bass weighing four pounds, boil half an hour, take six slices raw salt pork, fry them till the lard is nearly extracted, one dozen crackers soaked in cold water five minutes, put the bass into the lard, also the pieces of pork and crackers, cover close, and fry for 20 minutes. Serve with potatoes, pickles, applesauce, or mangoes. Garnish with green parsley. Oh, okay, yeah. That is a fascinating recipe to me because I like the soaking of the crackers. And then we get pickles and applesauce or mangoes as a side dish. Yeah, add, add a little bit of a little bit of tart to a, it. Sure, a, a tart, a pop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, Mary Randolph's eighteen twenty eight book, The Virginia Housewife, also had a recipe for chowder. Um, and in eighteen forty one, Sarah Josepha Hale, often credited with convincing President Lincoln that Thanksgiving should be a federal holiday, had a recipe for cod chowder in her book, The Good Housekeeper. And from this point on-ish, fish and clams became the protein choice of uh, chowders in this region. And one of the places we have record of that is Herman Melville's 1851 (laughs) book, Moby Dick. Okay. Which still comes up kind of surprisingly often. Mm -hmm. He wrote about a lot in that book. So, sure. Yeah. Yes. Well... In this book, uh, an entire chapter follows a character's choice between clam or cod um, in chowder choice. Ishmael, the protagonist, goes for clam. And here's the description. 
It was made of small, juicy clams, scarcely bigger than hazelnuts, mixed with pounded ship biscuits and salted pork cut up into little flakes, the whole enriched with butter and plentifully seasoned with pepper and salt. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, He also likes the cod chowder, but doesn't seem as enthused about it. Okay. The clam one was the one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The 1800s was when chowder started appearing on New England menus as well. Yeah. Um, And by the 1850s, it was... Certainly popular in New England. Um, In John Russell Bartlett's Dictionary of Americanisms from 1859, we get this definition. um, Chowder, a favorite dish in New England, made of fish, pork, onions, and biscuits stewed together. Cider and champagne are sometimes added. Uh, Picnic parties to the seashore generally have a dish of chowder prepared by themselves in some grove near the beach from fish caught at the same time. Yeah. Um, Well... The milk didn't really come into the mix until later. Most early recipes left it out, using potatoes or crackers and water to achieve a level of creaminess. An 1880 recipe out of Miss Parloa's new cookbook claimed milk was optional but did call for boiling, uh, suggesting that it had moved away from casserole and more towards soup. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also suggests that it had really solidified itself as a part of New England cuisine in a time when there was sort of a colonial revival happening in the region. Yeah, yeah. It was the 100th anniversary-ish of uh, the Declaration of Independence, and people were feeling very nostalgic. Right. Um, and this also seems to be the time that other chowders started popping up in places that didn't have access to clams, like corn chowders, smoked salmon chowders, squirrel meat chowders, uh, again future episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, uh, Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Because the, the dish's popularity was moving inland, um, where especially in this time before uh, refrigeration or, or canning had really taken off, um, like, like right around the turn of the century here, you just couldn't get seafood inland. Um, and as always, people substitute what's plentiful and popular. Um, the Boston Cooking School cookbook published a recipe for corn chowder in 1884, and by the end of the century, there were more recipes for corn chowder around the U.S. than any other type. Wow. It reminds me a lot of, like, episodes we've done on oysters and lobster where when they moved inland, all of these things. All these substitutes uh, happened, yeah. Which, speaking of... Um, hmm. Not necessarily the same, but uh, tomato-based Manhattan clam chowder, uh, which you talked about at the top, <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> um, the first known recipe of that was published in 1934. Mm-hmm. And that particular chowder has historically drawn a lot of ire up to the point that a legislator in Maine tried to outlaw it in 1939. Or to, like, specifically to outlaw putting tomatoes in a chowder. And apparently, mm-hmm. under had this law been passed, guilty offenders would have been sentenced to digging up a barrel of clams at high tide, which is apparently impossible. I don't know how clams work. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Listeners, please write in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's a quote uh, from this whole thing. No person of taste and culture actually is going to put tomatoes in their clam chowder. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Uh, and the legislator who put forth that bill won Representative Cleveland Sleeper, <laughs> which is a great name. Yeah. Um, he never got the bill to go anywhere, but he did not let his cause go. Uh, later in 1939, he set up a sort of like stunt cook-off where he pitted chefs of the white and red style against each other. And a panel of judges declared the white style the winner, though notably all of those judges were from New England. So, hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. I've never had this Manhattan style. I I need to get in on that. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a it's a different it's a it's a different experience. It's just a different thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> clearly, people are fiercely opinionated about it. Yep. Um, Yepers. Eleanor Early, author of the book New England Sampler, wrote of this Manhattan style clam chowder. It is only a vegetable soup and not to be confused with New England clam chowder, nor spoken of in the same breath. Tomatoes and clams have no more affinity than ice cream and horseradish. (laughs) Dang. Wow. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All right. Um, But uh, there are a lot of different styles. New Jersey apparently created their own version around this time with tomatoes, creamed asparagus, bacon, and light cream, seasoned with Old Bay, among other things. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida has their own version, too. Minorcan? Minorcan. Uh, clam chowder. I'm not sure. Please correct, please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it's similar to Manhattan clam chowder, but it has the key addition of daddle. Dadle pepper, um, a pepper indigenous to Cuba that was introduced to Florida centuries ago. Um, people are very passionate about that one as well. So, also there's Rhode Island style, there's North Carolina style, there's San Francisco style, there's Cabo style. Um, probably all emerged around this time too. And I mean, soups do lend themselves to adaptation. Um, and experimentation. Oh, yeah. So it makes sense. Um, the dairy versus non-dairy versions were also largely based on resources. So it was sort of like, can we get this? Can we not? And that's a soup. That's the soup story oh, yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, fl- flavor profiles that you grew up with and whether or not you mm. want something to be creamy or vegetal or some combination of the two. Right. And I will say, like, throughout this research, clam chowder was, is a dish that really seemed to straddle being a poor man's food, um, especially in some regions, and then something nicer, like a really nice dish. Um, And if, yeah, if you go back to, like, our oyster episode, clams used to be really plentiful in that area. It was something indigenous people of the region had been enjoying responsibly for many years. So it was sort of like available but it could be made very fancy it was it Mm -hmm. was a really interesting example of something that was both yeah Um, yeah or or that like had been for a long time just you know like what you ate because that was what you had uh versus right when that kind of nostalgia started kicking in and you started going like oh and like now I can afford to finish it with sherry or whatever it is that it is and doing that kind of thing to it yeah yeah and I I really would love to hear from listeners about this because for me like 
it's I got it from a can and I liked it. It was nice. Even like getting it from a can, it felt like a nice occasion for me. Huh. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I would love to hear from people in the region who you can get it fresh and you can get it in a can and I don't know, fancy it up in all these different ways. Yeah. I, I feel like when, when I was a kid anyway, like it was sort of if there was one on on like a restaurant menu, I felt very fancy indeed ordering it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does feel fancy, uh, <laughs> which is so fascinating. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think I will. I got my can. I think I'm going to yeah. watch um, a Halloween movie, eat my, my chowder, and yeah. it's going to be great. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. Heck yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm excited too. Thank you. Uh, but yes, listeners, please write in. Mm-hmm. But this is what we have to say about chowder for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do already have some listener mail for you, and uh, we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from another quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. 
and we're back with Listener Hi, Cleves. Oh, yeah. I feel like when I want a good, a good cup of chowder, the leaves are falling. Yeah. Ooh, a cool night and I'm wrapped in my blanket. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Something bloody is happening on television. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. That's yeah. what I want. <laughs> Which we do have to kind of Halloween adjacent. So fall is Halloween to me. Uh, Halloween adjacent <laughs> <laughs> messages from listeners. Okay. Okay. Starting with Arik. Arik wrote, does Halloween season ever have to end? <laughs> Not for us. Uh, <laughs> Twizzlers is one of those candies that I think you get a craving for occasionally. You forget about them and then suddenly, hmm, I could go for some Twizzlers. That is what happened to me before listening to the episode. I was at the store, saw them, and said, it has been a while. Grab a pack. And then the episode pops up into my feed later. Great timing. <laughs> I agree with Lauren on the minis. They taste the same, but something does feel different about the texture. A big thank you to you and Melanie on that soup recipe. Made it for dinner today, and wow. So simple and yet so complex. This is definitely going into my fall slash winter soup list. Loved the caustic Worcestershire episode. <laughs> Another versatile sauce. I like to throw a dash or two into eggs when whisking them up for scrambled eggs. Adds just a little bit of extra flavor. As you noted, there is a difference between the U.S. and the U.K. version. Several places do import the U.K. version. Uh, look for an orange label. There is a taste difference, but it is not wildly different to my memory. Definitely worth a try, if you can, to see if you would prefer one to the other. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. 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 Let's just your taste test. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm really into that. I feel like I've neglected this idea that you can't do taste tests with, like, literally everything. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've always kind of pigeonholed it and that it's, like, a wine taste test or... But you can, yeah, what's yeah. your taste test? Why not? Um, somebody was telling me the other day about some taste test they did, and I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yes, into that. I love that you tried the soup. Um, we have more soup recipes that yeah. listeners have sent in that we've <laughs> read, will read. Um, and that's very fun and exciting. I love soup, so I'm so excited by it <laughs> just sharing sharing the soup love yeah 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 um and yeah the twizzlers i love that uh you agree with lauren on these minis i love a lot of people had thoughts about twizzlers <sighs> yeah they're they're definitely a if they come my way maybe type of candy okay all right yeah mm -hmm. twizzlers are sometimes food sure <laughs> yes, but that makes the next email all the more fun. Yes. Okay. All right. So Hannah wrote, I just listened to your Twizzlers episode and I realized it was time to tell you about something we have done at my work. I make handmade wigs for a living, which means that I and my coworkers spend a lot of time sitting around doing fiddly handwork and chatting. We also, like any workplace, have a fondness for snacks. 
One day, we were talking about candies, and one of my coworkers was trying to figure out which candy would be best to bring in in order to make the most people happy. At the time, there were probably about six or seven people regularly coming in and out of the studio. And even with only seven people, we couldn't do it. We spent the afternoon suggesting candies that we were sure must be universally liked. Kit Kats, someone said. Who doesn't like Kit Kat? I raised my hand. I mean, they're fine, I guess, but they don't have much going for them. What about Reese's? I've never met someone who didn't like a Reese's cup. Another coworker made a face. I like peanut butter and I like chocolate, but I just don't like them together. We threw up our hands. It was too much. At this point, we couldn't even keep track of what we had already discussed. Finally, my most organized coworker wrote down a list of all the candies that we could think of. We sorted them on a binary system. One for like, zero for do not like. No consensus. Not a single universally liked candy. But then we began to question the system. How much does one have to like a candy to give it a one? Would they happily eat the candies that weren't their favorites if they were free? Or were there things they would truly refuse? Over the years, our system has developed into a spreadsheet with four numbered categories. Zero uh, being will not eat under any circumstances. One being will eat if provided but would never spend money on. Two being will absolutely spend money on. Three being an absolute favorite. Now, our staff has changed over the years, and not everyone who was there for the original binary list was still there by the birth of the four-step system. We have kept the binary data because, I mean, I'm not going to lose data, uh, but it is kept separately from the complete data. Once everyone currently working had responded, we were able to add up the numbers and sort out data, and the winner, the only candy with only ratings of twos and threes, was, drumroll please, Twizzlers Pull and Peel. <laughs> I had to laugh when it sounded like the two of you are not big fans. Clearly, our small sample size here at work does not provide universal answers. This, of course, also led to an argument between people who peel, sane humans, and people who bite the whole thing, psychopaths. <laughs> the second most highly rated candy with two fewer overall points is the original Twizzlers. Interestingly, the people at our company who prefer red vines all also like Twizzlers, while the people who prefer Twizzlers all despise red vines. In case you need to know, the top 10 candies according to the Custom Wig Company official candy rating system are Twizzlers Pull and Peel, Twizzlers, Reese's Cups, Peanut Butter M&Ms, Fast Break, uh, clearly it's just our one peanut butter chocolate hater keeping the PB down, uh, Toblerone, Hershey's Kisses, Chewy Spree, Rollo's, Butterfinger. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the lowest rated five are Black Licorice, Razzles, Necco Wafers, Jawbreakers, and Bit of Honey. And I bet you can guess the only candy was straight ones, making it the only candy with absolute consensus, Dum Dum Suckers. <laughs> now, I could analyze the candy data all day, and we sometimes do, but I will let you go. Happy spooky slash candy season. <laughs> Wow. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I appreciate the work, the dedication, the research. That is heckin' delightful. <laughs> That's great. So good. That's oh my god, really terrific. Um, it's 
Excellent. And I also, I'm, I'm like legitimately, I am so fascinated by these results. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there are some candies I've never heard on there. What's a razzle? I'm. I love this. This is great. I love how people have opinion on, on candy. They're like. Even if you don't eat candy that much like me, you're yeah. just like, no, Also, <laughs> Also, how did Chewy Sprees get on the top list and Necco Wafers on the bottom list when it's the same <laughs> flavor profile? Just one is Chewy. We have follow-up questions <laughs> for your research, please. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Sprees are more tart. That's I was, uh, but they still oh, have the don't... same like powdery aftertaste that I anyway. Um, huh, huh. I love this. I love this so much. Um, I do self-associate with the whole like like because I, I I'm a fan of Twizzlers and I do not appreciate a red vine. I'm like, what is that? No, thank you. Um, yeah. I feel like you've really uncovered some yeah. important data here. And I love also how you didn't throw away your previous data. You got to keep all the data. Yeah, yeah. You know? We just need a larger sample size. We do. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Twizzlers, pool and peel. I can't wait to tell my friend. She's going to be outraged. It's going to be great. <laughs> oh, wow. Beautiful. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um and thank you to to both of these listeners for writing in. Uh, if you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saberpod.com. We're also hypothetically on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saberpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saber is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 